You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. And we had us a little uh, northwest front blow through this week. And we're going to talk about what that did to the conditions, what to expect between now and when the winter pattern sets in to stay, all those kinds of things. As you can tell, or maybe you can't, I'm just now getting over this cough thing, still doing a fair amount of coughing. And my voice is still a little on the scratchy side, but I am making it. I had uh, a long weekend down at the bay. I was out on the water for, in some shape or form, for four of those days. I had a trip on Friday with my buddy Mark and uh, and his friend Chris came down, and we we set out to find fish in places that I, uh, I just had a hunch, had a guess that they would be. So here's what I did. I told you last week that we, I was going to go scouting and I did. I only went out for about two hours, but here's what I know. I told you I was going to go find, uh, search around places where I did not expect the fish to be. Uh, and those places were way back in the marshes, but in areas where I have not been finding fish because I knew things had stabilized for long enough that with the water temperature being stable and the levels being stable and the bait being comfortable back there, I had suspected that fish would migrate and move and and there would be more fish in the back areas. And so I went and checked areas that I had no luck in uh, the last time I'd been out on the water. And sure enough, I found fish there. And so I knew because I had found fish there that there were going to be fish all throughout the back marsh. Uh, It was going to be dealer's choice. I could go and do whatever I wanted. So I looked at the wind and uh, played uh, the wind and the direction of the sun and all that to my advantage. And uh, we started off and I early morning, sun not even fully up yet, I run up into this back lake and shut it down. And I shut it down like fairly close to the shore because I had not planned on us catching any fish for the first 50 yards of our of our polling. I was going to pull back up into this maze of creeks and and I, I didn't expect for us to get uh, a bite before we got into that creek system. Well, I crawl up on the platform. I barely even get two push poles into our journey down the shore, and Mark hooks a 29 and three-quarter inch redfish, stud of a fish. And then that that's kind of how the next uh, hour went. We had four fish in the boat before we even could take a breath, and... Then we had a long, slow stretch. The bite kind of died. Conditions were overcast. We were not getting good sight fishing opportunities. So what we did, changed location, went to find cleaner water, shallower water, 
uh, water that we could hopefully get some sight casts in on. And we started seeing a couple of redfish, but nothing to write home about. I was getting a little concerned. I really wanted the trip to end in uh, you know in a strong in a strong fashion. Well, Mark hooks another redfish, and uh, that's redfish number five. We had two get away uh, from us uh, back in our first spot, but I really so you know Mark's been out with me before. We've done uh, trips with his son. Uh, he's been out fun fishing with me uh, one other time before I got my license and all that stuff, and so. Um, he knows the drill, but his buddy, Chris lives on a lake and he had never done the sight fishing for redfish kind of thing. And I just could not stand it if he did not get a good, clear sight fishing opportunity. And so I said, guys, when I was scouting, uh, there was a place that I don't normally fish that I, I ran through and I spooked a bunch of redfish. I think they're still going to be there. Let's go check it out. So we go to spot number three, uh, start pushing back into these back lakes and back pockets, and a redfish gives himself away because he eats up against the bank. And so we knew where he was. He's in kind of a pocket that we could enclose off with the boat. We get back into that pocket, and I, I tell everybody, just just watch. Just, just look, listen. And out of nowhere, I look down. And this redfish is three feet from the boat, has no idea we're there. I said, Chris, look to your left, redfish, three feet off the bow. I said, don't, don't try to cast it. Just click the button, drop it in front of him. He does. Redfish scarfs that lure and uh, the fight ensued. And it was, uh, it was awesome. We got to see the whole thing. So he was really pumped about that, and I was too, and so that that made it for that trip. We had a good trip, lost two fish, but we boated, uh, I think we boated six uh, and lost two, so uh, nothing wrong with that. Had a good trip out, and then that evening, uh, my wife and uh, my two youngest kids met me at the Bay House, and we stayed until Tuesday, and my parents watched they came to lunch, uh, on Saturday. And every time that we go down to the Bay house, we try to, uh, invite family that maybe hasn't been there or friends we haven't seen in a while or people that we know live down there that we don't get to see that often. And so, uh, we thought my parents haven't been here in a good while. They need to come have lunch. So they come out to have lunch. My little ones get, word that they are coming and that's it. They want to go back home with them. And my parents couldn't say no. And so they took them back home, ended up keeping them for two days. So guess what I got to do? I got to take my wife to a nice dinner at number 13's, which we love. That's our spot down there. And I also got to do a lot of uh, short alone fishing trips. I do not get to fish alone very often. And when I do, I absolutely love it. It may be my favorite thing to do because I change the game. It's different. I'm managing the boat by myself and doing all the fishing. And so uh, keeping your boat position uh, correct and 
being able to move and spot fish and and all that it's it's something I've had to work at and get used to I'm still not great at it but uh, we had great conditions Saturday for fly fishing. And so I slumped off back in a part of the marsh that I just wanted to explore because that's another thing I do when I get by myself. I don't go to places that I normally fish. I like to fish places I don't ever fish or may have never fished. And so I was in this back part of this marsh that I never go to. I always pass by it. I never fish there. And uh, <coughs> I get back there. Water's super shallow. We're on a low tide. I did not even bring the bait caster, only brought the fly rod. And I get back there and I start seeing redfish. And when I am moving the boat through the shallows like that, I am going painfully slow, painfully slow, because I know that I'm not going to see that fish until he's too close. And if I'm moving that boat at any particular speed, it's going to, I'm going to spook it off or I'm not going to get a good shot. So I was moving nice and slow. I started seeing redfish. I, uh, I got, uh, a couple of good casts in front of some fish that ate. I caught two reds on the fly that day. I had a third fish that I hooked twice and he came unbuttoned both times. Same fish. Uh, so I just had an absolute blast. Got up the next day. And I went to do some methodical uh, discovery work. I wanted to go try areas in and on the on the map that I had looked at and see, all right, are they worth fishing? I went to spot number one, made a good cast on a redfish, uh, but he didn't want it. And then... Fish number two, I nailed him at about 20 yards, ultra clear water, uh, and got to watch him eat. That was good. And then I went far back uh, on the other side, uh, more of an East Bay location, and uh, near deep water, grassy shoreline, and thought, I'm just going to see what I can see. The area looked like a place that would hold redfish. I didn't really know what to find. I found three schools of redfish there. Those were the only schooling redfish I saw. They're the only schooling redfish I've seen in the past three weeks. So now that we've had this front pass, uh, I just want to tell you guys, the shrimp are gone. Okay. There may be remnants of, of a little bit of shrimp left in the marsh, but when I say the shrimp are gone in the Galveston area, what I mean is in West Bay marshes in particular, there are not large number large numbers of shrimp that would cause the fish to school. There may be a, a one here or there hopping around, but redfish have changed the pattern. They're following around rafts of finger mullet. They are tailing in shallow backwaters, eating crustaceans and crabs and little bait fish and whatever they can get a hold of, right? They're, they're scavenging. They're not schooling on redfish. The schools that I found were, like I said, they were near deep water. It was more of an open bay location, and it, it was a grassy shoreline, but it was not in a marsh. Uh, the shrimp are not in the marsh. They're still in the open bay. Uh, which means you can do pretty well in the open bay right now, especially after this front. So 
Let's talk about the front. It did not drop the water as much as I thought it was going to be dropping out. But what it did, it did go negative, uh, about half a foot negative, (laughs) which me and Chris had a bet. I bet it was going to go negative a foot. He bet half a foot. Basically, he nailed it on the head. Uh, So I lost that one. But what's going to happen now is the water's going to stay relatively low until we get a solid wind shift and some wind pushing water back in. I don't know when that's going to happen. I haven't looked at the forecast, but with the water being out, you know, the day of the front blowing through, we started with a tide, a high tide that was over two feet. Our high tide today, which is Wednesday, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, uh, peaked at like a foot. Okay, so it's been dropping. We're we're basically on the tide swing. We're a foot lower. Our high is a foot uh, to a little over a foot lower than what it was before the front. That's going to drastically affect fishing in the marsh. But that's not why the fish left the marsh. There may be some areas where it got too shallow. But in a lot of these bigger marshes, there's places they can go. They don't have to leave when the water drops like it did. It didn't drop far enough to force the fish out. The fish left because of the rapid decrease in water temperature. Because they they cannot adjust that quickly to that big of a change in water temperature. There's about a 20 degree change. Anytime you get a 20 degree change in water temperature in a marsh, it's going to dump the fish out. They'll be back. It does not, the water temperature does not have to increase for them to come back. Water temperatures in the 50s, uh, they adjusted, no problem. I guarantee you they're already back there. Front, front blew through Wednesday and Tuesday. I guarantee you by Wednesday afternoon, those fish were pushing back up into the shallows. And Thursday, Friday, they're going to be there. Water's probably not going to come back, so you might have to be careful running your boat around, go places that you know. But you can also do really well sight fishing the clear water in more main bay structures. Here's what I mean. I decided on another day that I was out, I think it was Monday, uh, we had overcast conditions. It was prefrontal. Uh, we had very little tide movement. And... I'd been spoiled the past two days sight casting and I was really down because I was like, oh, I can't sight cast today. The water temperature had risen to about 72 degrees, which muddies the water back up. Uh, It needs to be in the 60s for it to be nice and clear. And so water temperature was muddied back up, uh, had overcast conditions. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to change the script. I'm going to go fish main open bay stuff. There was a place that I had been wanting to pull through. It is an oyster field. I mean, it's like there's probably 30 oyster beds in this area. It's kind of open bay. Uh, the The gaps between the oyster beds are two and three feet deep. And so you can pull it. And when it's flooded, like it was two feet over MLLW when I got back there, uh, you can pole or drift right over the top of all of the reefs. And because I have that aluminum Sabine, I'm not worried about, you know, chunking into a, a reef because it just doesn't matter. That boat can handle it. So I tied on a topwater. 
You heard me right. I tied on a topwater and I started drifting across these oyster beds throwing a topwater. And I caught, uh, I had a, a decent trout hit. He came unbuttoned. I caught uh, a couple of small redfish. But here's why I hate a topwater, okay? I had three fish miss the lure completely. One of them jumped clear out of the water uh, trying to get it, missed it, okay? So the, the missing of the topwater is one of the things I hate. It is a low hookup ratio bait. The other reason I hate it is for this scenario. So I'm standing on the platform, my polling platform, but I'm drifting. If I'm on the platform, my boat turns perfectly sideways and drifts sideways with the wind. So it works out great. On the platform, I'm looking up at this reef that is 30 yards in front of me. There is uh, what would have been my personal best redfish on an artificial lure. He was in the mid 30 to low 40 inch range. Huge, absolute monster of a fish. And I'm drifting directly towards him. And I know that if I had thrown a paddle tail at him, I would have a nice, beautiful picture of me with that fish. All I had in my hand was a topwater. I'm drifting towards him. I don't have time to change out rods. By the time I do all this and change it and, you know, grab the other pole or whatever, like I'm going to be in his face. So I chunked that top water 10 feet past him and I walked the dog eight inches from his face. He does what so many redfish do with the top water. He turned on it, followed it for about three to four feet and then turned off of it and disappeared into one of the guts. And I, I was so disgusted with that bait that I, uh, even though I had caught fish on it, I mean, three fish miss, and then that fish follows it and then turns off of it. It was fun. I had a good time catching the couple fish I did off that top water. It's a really cool area. It's an area that I'm going to be frequenting in the wintertime. And so that leads me to the transition. What do we do now? What do we do now that the shrimp, the shrimp have moved out of the marsh? What can we expect from now until winter sets in? Well, you're going to have varying degrees of weather, but your lows are going to average in the 50s. Your highs are going to average in the 60s and 70s. And because of that, your water level is going to stay right around the 60 degree mark, 60, 63. That's perfect. It's going to be nice and clear. Sight casting is going to be our friend for the next however long Mother Nature is going to give us until winter sets in. And even after winter, and what do I mean by that? I mean, so we had this little front blow through. There is a front coming. It's going to come in December or it's going to come mid-January. It it used to come mid-January. In fact, last year it came early. But there's that one big front. It blows the water. Last year, it, the water was blown out so far. It was negative 2.6 feet on the... Uh, on the the rail bridge. So that's the kind of front I'm talking about. When it blows and it goes, the water level goes negative two feet and it stays gone 
four weeks, two, three, four weeks, it'll stay out. Uh, that's when winter is going to set in. That's when the fishing is going to get tougher. But you just go to more main lake, main bay points, areas, shallow flats that you can find good sight casting opportunities. And if you have sunlight and you're on a warming trend, which you typically are in the mornings, you can go hunting down a couple fish. You're not going to go see the numbers of fish once that pattern moves in for the winter as you do now. But from now until that big front blows in, there's going to be fish in the marsh. They're not, they're not leaving just yet. There's going to be shallow water sight casting opportunities. It's going to be awesome. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. I love the schooling redfish, but you see a school of 15 reds schooling up against a bank. You catch one of them, the show's over. You got to go find more, right? Uh, now we're in that time of year where you can go pick a redfish off of a flat. It can be an amazing eat. It can be a ton of fun. You let that fish go. You pull 20 more feet and you find another one. That's what's super fun. That's what I'm hoping is going to happen over the course of December if the weather plays nice. And I think it will. We'll see. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. I, uh, I hope uh, to have some uh, clientele come out with me in December. I'm pretty wide open right now. I've got a couple of dates I need to block off because I've got a work event happening uh, next Thursday, November 30th. So Thursday and Friday, I'm going to be out of town for work. And then uh, I think there's a day in December I'm out. But um, other than that, I'm looking forward to taking some customer trips, doing some fly fishing. Uh, and it's going to be a ton. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, I made a post on Instagram. Uh, oh, wait, before I get to that, we had a classic, uh, classic situation. It's it's age old. It's never going to go away. I resign myself to the fact that uh, this is just the way things are going to be, and I'm going to have to get over it. I was out Monday, like I told you. It starts to look like the weather's going to turn a little bit. And so I start heading in. Well, I wanted to make one last stop in a marsh on my way home. There is a boat with a husband and a wife and a kid. Uh, and they are blocking the entry to this marsh in their boat. They're anchored up in the mouth of it. And they got 960 something acres of marshland behind them. They have no idea. But here's the thing. They're sitting in the deep part of the channel and they're casting their lines up onto the shallow shelf that was inches deep. Okay. And husband's got his line out on the left side of the boat. Wife and kid have their line out on the right side of the boat. They're smack dab in the middle of the channel. It is not a big channel. I cannot slow down and putt by them because they've left me no room on the left side and there's only shallow water and there's actually a prop hazard that sits up on this shelf that you you have to know is there. And so I got a split second choice I need to make and I chose to blow right past them. When I say blow right past them, I was, I was 
I was casting distance from him, but I wasn't super close. I was a long cast uh, away from him because they were sitting out, out, not like right smack in the pinch point of the mouth, but kind of out just a little bit. <laughs> so I blew past him at probably 30 to 50 feet. And uh, the lady lost her mind. She lost her mind. She started yelling and waving her hands and calling me every name in the book. And I just waved at her and kept on. And I just thought, and you know, I almost stopped. I almost stopped and went back and said, hey, listen, like, I'm not trying to ruin your, your fishing trip here. You're blocking 900 plus acres of marshland. Like, that's not fair. And you, I couldn't put by you because you left me no choice but to run in six inches of water uh, next to an oyster hazard that uh, I, I couldn't come off plane. But she did not seem to be the reasonable type, so I just motored on in. Uh, and, you know, Raymond, uh, my buddy Raymond mentioned this on the Salty Yak page uh, for the Salty Yak Outdoor Podcast. And they've covered it on that. If you go way back to about a year ago, Roger and Carrie and all the guys uh, covered uh, that that topic. And so I'm not going to belabor it. All I will say is, uh, you know, all of us out there in a boat, we most of us started out in a kayak. And we don't want to get in anyone's way. We don't want to bother anyone. anyone. We don't want to upset anyone. Uh, if we're all courteous and we think about you know, if you're fishing, you should be thinking about what am I going to do if a boat's going to come through here? Or is, is this an area where a boat is likely to come through? Uh, there are places back in the marsh that I can completely avoid. There are little pinch points and chokes that, hey, if I see a kayaker sitting in there, I'm not going anywhere near there. I'm letting them have it. You know, so common sense goes a long way and doing what you would want done to you goes a long way. Um, now I made an Instagram post over the weekend. I think it was Saturday about how 12 years ago I was in a hospital bed recovering from an arc flash, uh, that, that happened. Uh, let me explain. As many of you know, I was an electrician for over a decade and I'll try to condense this story down, but I was, uh, working as a general foreman, I was working for a company that my dad uh, owns uh, half of, and uh, I'd worked for that company for ten. I was probably, eh, it was probably at the time of the accident. I think it was probably I had worked for him for about eight years. Started as an apprentice, kind of worked my way up through the ranks uh, to foreman and general foreman, and. And I was doing work uh, like maintenance tickets uh, at a facility waiting for the Metro Light Rail job to kick off. I was going to get promoted up and be a, ju- a junior project manager on that. And and uh, I was working on a switch gear uh, the morning of November 16th at two, 2011. And... One thing uh, led to another. A couple things went wrong. Switchgear blew up. It blew up in my face. It burnt me from my elbows to my fingertips on both arms, second and third degree. 
Uh, it burnt me down the side of my face and neck, uh, second degree. And I had to recover in the burn unit for nine days. And <clears throat> what I had, you know, my injuries were not uh, nearly as bad as the three other electricians that were in the burn unit with me. Uh, they had much worse injuries. I recovered completely. I still have a lot of scar tissue and, uh, you know, some, some things left over from that, but by and large, it could have been way worse. There was a fireball that blew out of that electrical gear past my head and blew the doors open to the, to the electrical room that I was in. Had that fireball hit me in the head, then I wouldn't be here. If I had been five, six inches to the right, I may not be here. The blast of the arc flash explosion was so loud that they heard it in buildings across the street. I was right next to the point of impact and had no hearing loss at all. I was, you know, in front of a, those arc flashes, and particularly the one that that uh, happened in front of me, was three times hotter than the surface of the sun and extraordinarily bright. I had no vision damage. God saved me that day. He taught me a lot. And uh, every year on that day, uh, I just feel an enormous amount of gratitude because that instant, uh, that accident, it changed the trajectory of my life in a way that I would not have done on my own. Uh, it made me realize that I uh, didn't want to stay in the electrical industry long-term. It made me make those changes that I didn't really see coming, that I might not have had the courage to uh, to do. And it drew me and my wife close, uh, closer than ever. She was such a great caretaker and uh, really took care of me during that time. It increased my faith. And even though the recovery was hard, it was long, I was out of work for, you know, a little over 30 days. I was in the, when I did go back, I went back in full bandages from elbow to fingertip, uh, all of the things that happen in the burn unit are absolutely terrible. Uh, the recovery from a burn is is extraordinarily painful, uncomfortable. Uh, I could go into all that. I won't today. Uh, if you guys want to hear all of the gory details, maybe we'll do that another time. But uh, the Bible tidbit for today is uh, is less of a Bible tidbit and more of a uh, me saying, I'm so thankful to God that he saved my life in that time, that he has had his hand on me and my life uh, in so many circumstances that it's, uh, it's an embarrassment of riches on, on, my, on my part because I can look at times, specifically times where life was hard, and I can say, I see God's hand in those times. And I would challenge you 
to look at your own life and look at those moments that were difficult and those moments that were awesome and find God's hand in those moments. And if you're not a believer, if the God thing weirds you out and you're like, I listen to this podcast for fishing advice. Cool. I get it. All I'm trying to tell you is that look around. You know, Romans chapter one talks a lot about the natural revelation of God, how we can see him in the things that he's made. We can witness his glory in the things that he's made and in the making of us in his own image. And so look around and try to see God's hand in those moments. And then once you do, the real beauty of walking with Christ day in and day out is finding his hand in the mundane and in the ordinary and in the things that we take for granted, like the laughter of our kids, like this delicious turkey we're going to eat tomorrow, uh, like uh, a funny joke that your best friend sends you, a redfish on the fly, uh, all those things. So be thankful. I hope that you and your family have a have a happy Thanksgiving. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. I still cannot believe that there are people that crack on their radio or open their app and listen to me sit down by myself in front of a microphone and talk about fishing. It's crazy. But we're kind of growing. The community is growing. We're getting more and more downloads. The move to the Redfish Network has been a good thing. Drew Turner and the Paddler's Playbook already have a great thing built. I urge you to go and listen to their podcast. Drew's a great guy. I believe that we're going to be speaking at the North... uh, I'm going to butcher this. It's the North chapter of the CCA. They have their meeting on December 5th. The plan is for Drew and I to go and speak at that meeting. Uh, I'm still trying to get a babysitter, so working on that. But that's the plan. Uh, Come out. Check it out. We'd love to see you there. Drew's going to drag his kayak up there and uh, and show his rig off and how he rigs it up, and I think that's going to be cool. So we would love to see you out there. I want to thank everybody who has come alongside me in my fishing and podcast journey, Uh, whether it be a client who's booked me for a guided trip or a fishing buddy that uh, has just uh, helped me learn and grow on the water, or whether it's been, uh, you know, Carrie uh, Beeson, who showed me the ropes of the podcast, and Drew, Tur- uh, Drew Turner, who kind of did the same thing. And uh, for all of the, the wisdom that I have gleaned from all of you out there, I appreciate it. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>